If you want to turn in your Bibles to James 3, that's where we're continuing on. And um, the tongue, the teaching on the tongue. So I, I pray that today as we uh, look at this scripture, as um, God speaks to us through his word, that we understand in our life the, the difficulty of uh, taming this tongue. Uh, and also... Uh, the contradictory sort of character of our tongue. So he points out a couple of these things. And so we're going to start at verse 7. So James 3, we're going to go through, uh, I think, 7 through 12. We'll start with verse 7. It says, For every kind of beast and bird or uh, of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. So quite a strong statement as he starts out there as he's talking about this tongue that we have but if you think about it every kind of beast and bird has been tamed by mankind and you know we can look and we can be pretty amazed that we can get like elephants to do tricks and whales to do tricks and all these huge animals and, and reptiles and whatever it seems like we can train them and domesticate them to, to some point um, and James recognizes this even way back in the scriptures here but he says one thing that we can do that we can't do is really tame the tongue. And so as we look at these things that uh, he's really telling us that an animal no matter its size or whatever is more easily tamed than man's tongue. And so we know that there's an important story that um, James is trying to get to us here. Um, you know we can look at the, the accomplishments that men can do. Men can do in women, people in, in, in common, they can do many special things. You know, we watch a, a show on TV every now and then. It's called I Survived, and it's about people that get in tragic situations, whether it be uh, robbers or crashes or different things. And But I remember a long time ago reading of a man, I think he was out in California, that was hiking, and uh, somehow he fell and slipped, and he got his, his uh, arm caught in between two rocks. And he tried and tried to get it out, and he was trapped a couple days, and he came to the realization that um, he had to do something or he was going to die. And so uh, he had a little pocket knife, and he ended up cutting off his, his own arm uh, to save his life. And I stand back, and I, and I think about that. How could a person do that? But we can do a lot of things in life if we have to, if we're pushed to that limit. But yet James says we can't tame our tongue perfectly. And we talked last week about the bridle of the horse's mouth. We talked about uh, the ship's rudder. And we talked about how a little spark can start a great forest fire. And that's all about that little thing that lives between our teeth, the tongue. And so we learned last week, or we were told last week, that the way that we do that is by submitting ourselves to the Holy Spirit, to give God the control over our life. But it does cause us to have some discipline in our life too, to stop and to think before we just automatically react to things. And so James is talking about this. So it says, no man can tame, tame the tongue. Um, but we do know, again, by the Holy Spirit, we can do this. And this is a lesson that, that I learned, and we never get it right all the time. We're never going to be uh, perfect here on earth. But we can learn some things. And one of the things that I've, I've tried to condition myself to do or learn to do is that if I'm in that type of a situation, in that type of a conversation, that I just sort of hold back and, and get my mind stayed upon God. Lord, what is it that you might have me to say or not say? Um, and just try to, to bring God into my mind, because I believe that when I'm thinking about the Lord, 
so a lot of times my, my words are going to change. And again, we said it's not even always the words that you say, but sometimes how you say them. And so the Bible teaches us that we are to honor God uh, in thought, word, and deed. And so we know that word's important. The Bible also teaches us that we're to season our words. So um, we need to choose our words and give them to people in a, in a palatable way is, is, I think, the best way to say that. Because our words can draw people to Christ. They can draw them to the fellowship. They can draw them you know, into a relationship with God as we share things. Or our words can repel people from that. And if this is what being a Christian is all about, then I don't want anything to do with it. And so James puts out this challenge about how are we using our words? How are we bridling our tongue? What are we using our words for in our life? And so we might say that God is the only one that is, is mightier than the tongue, right? He's the one that can give us that control. You know, when Paul was in prison, he was wondering what to say. God said, I will give you the words to say. Paul probably had a lot of things to say because Paul, if you read a lot of his writings, he was a pretty outspoken person. But God said, I will give you those words to say. And so we need to think about that in our life. What are we using our words for? Are we using them to glorify God? Or are we using them for our own means, our own ends? Or are we using them to hurt people? Because all of our words can be used for those things. Now James is focusing uh, a little bit more on the negative side here. And it's probably because there was a problem with that in the church. And again, he was the pastor of the Jerusalem church, a huge church. And there was probably a lot of issues going on. So often when we pray for leadership in our church, be it the pastor or the, uh, the board members or Sunday school teachers, uh, we need to lift them up because they come under attack. They come under sometimes false accusations. They uh, come under criticism. Uh, maybe it can even be justly sometimes, but they are the, the focus of a lot of things that can happen. And so as leaders, we pray that we would utter the words that would be glorifying to God. And so he tells us, no man can tame the tongue. It is uh, an unruly evil full of deadly poison. We learned last week that it says in the tongue is life and death. And I, I don't know if you really took that to heart, but I want you to think about those things. In, in the words that we say, we can kill a relationship, we can kill a friendship, um, we can hurt people deeply. And again, last week we talked about sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt. We know that that's not true. Words sometimes can do more damage than the physical abuse that happens. And we see in the world today a lot of things in the news about physical abuse and different types of abuse, but I want you to think about verbal abuse the things that we do with our tongue, because those words, they stick with people. They can remember those things for years and years to come. And so it says it's, a, it's an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. And so we need to recognize that the words that we say, even sometimes if it's unintentional, um, can be very harmful to individuals. And so uh, Poole said this about the poison of the tongue, and he's a commentator. He said, the poison of the tongue is no less deadly. It murders men's reputations by the slanders it utters, their souls by the lusts and passions it stirs up in them, and many times their bodies too by the contentions and quarrels it raises against men. And so, you know, I always tell people it takes two to argue, right? So you get going that way. If we control our tongue a lot of times, the argument's not going to happen. So we can have these things that go on. And so Poole, Poole talks about that. 
Um, do we slander people's reputations? A lot of times we might even pass things, not meaning to do things, but, well, you know, a friend of mine told me this about this person. Well, do you know that to be a fact? Do you know that to be true? Because we used to play this game when I was in church camp as a little kid. It was called telephone line, and you'd have all the kids sit around in a circle, and you'd start out with one message, and they'd whisper to this one, whisper, 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 whisper. They'd go around the whole circle, and then by the end time, it came to the last person, they'd say, so what's the message? And they'd say this message that most of the time wasn't anything near to the one that it began. And so we see how the tongue can go. We see how um, gossip spreads like a fire. I rode with a gentleman yesterday and we were talking about some things and he talked about how um, one thing got out in his church. He was, a, he was an interesting man and uh, he had left... Um, the Mennonite, the conservative Mennonite church. And, and anyways, he was going down to a funeral, but he was taking his truck as he was hauling some stuff. And uh, the conservative Mennonites, they said, you don't do anything on, on a Sunday. Uh, except milk your cow, and that was it. But he was taking his truck because they had a funeral on Monday, so they left Sunday after church. And he said, all of a sudden, he says, that whole church knew about that by that afternoon. They had it all over the place. Isn't that how gossip goes? Bad news spreads, you know, Gossip spreads terribly. Are you a funnel for that gossip that goes out? Sometimes prayer lines can be like that. And listen, prayer is very important. But sometimes we use that prayer to, to just to be in the know, to just to hear the juicy tidbits that are going on around us. Is that how you treat prayer? Is that how you pass things on? Oh, you know what I heard today? And just go there. And pretty soon we've attacked people's reputations. We've, we've hurt them. We've slandered them. It can cause contentions in quarrels. And a lot of times I see that not so much by the words that are said, but sometimes even by how they are said. Are you seasoning your words gently as God would want us to do? You know, John Wesley, one time he preached a sermon on the talents, and you've probably read that parable in the, in the Gospels. And, but anyways, he had preached about the talents, and we know that through the talents he criticized one that had buried their talents. They didn't do anything with it. And after that, he said that a lady had come up to him and said, I think that my talent from God is to speak my mind. And John Wesley said to her, I think that is one talent that you could bury. See, many times in our life, we don't need to speak our mind all the time. Sometimes we think of, of that and, oh, that's just such, oh, I wish I could be like that person. He just says whatever on his mind. Do you really want to be that person? Do you really want to have that thing? Speaking everything that comes to mind, I believe, is very unwise. And I think the scripture talks about that too because it says in the abundance of words sin is not far behind and so we look at that it goes on in verse 9 and he tells us this with it we bless God and our God and Father and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God out of the same mouth proceeds blessings and cursings my brethren these things ought not to be so so there's the challenge again and there's a sort of a direct point I love James because he's just sort of this blue-collar preacher. He just sort of lays it out and he draws us these pictures, in my mind anyways, that are just so clear. And I was like, yeah, that makes just a lot of sense. With it we bless God and with it we curse men. Are you using your mouth for that? Is that what you are doing? You know, uh, we can use it for our highest calling. Our highest calling is to praise God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do it all unto the glory of God. That's the highest calling that we can use our words for, is to bring glory to God, to share of his goodness, his grace, his mercy, the gospel message with the lost. That's the highest calling 
that we can have to use our words for. But it says that we can also use it for the lowest evil. And that's to curse men. And to curse doesn't just mean to necessarily swear, but to talk bad about, to slander, to do those things that are hurtful and harmful to people. And what does he say? He says, these things ought not to be. Those that are born again, those that have the Holy Spirit in their life, he says, should not be doing these things. Now again, we're not perfect in this world. We probably all find ourselves sometimes doing that. We have what we call those oops moments. And, and we've got to repent of those. We've got to go to God and say, Lord, I'm sorry. Sometimes we need to go to the person that we said them to and said, you know, I really didn't mean to say that and, or say it in that way or however it is. And we need to try to make amends for those things. But he says those things in a believer's life should not be producing both blessings and cursings. And yet we see great people in the Bible that did it. We see Peter. Peter tongue, uh, confessed with his tongue to Jesus. So who do people say? You are the Messiah, the living and true God. So he blessed him in, the, in that moment, using it for, for a revelation. God even said, you know, flesh and bone has not revealed this to you, but the Holy Spirit. Peter was showing us what happens when the Holy Spirit has control of your tongue. When he's at the helm of the rudder or has the reins of those things. But then what happened out in the courtyard as Jesus was going to trial? It says that he cursed. He denied and he cursed Jesus. And that word cursed is spoke evil of or spoke roughly of. He was trying to convince those people that he had nothing to do with Jesus. Do we find ourselves doing that sometimes? The, the apostle John did the same thing. He, he told us this, little children love one another. And yet he said that he was the one that wanted to call down fire from heaven on the Samaritans. The Bible says those things not ought to be. But we're in good company because God's apostles had done that. But they repented of that and Jesus used those to show them and teach them those things. Do we have those things that are coming out of our mouth? And so James tells us these things ought not to be so. Our speech should be consistently glorifying God in the things that we say and do. Because he doesn't say in, in some things that you do, in some things that you say, but he says, in whatever you do, in whatever you say. It says that a gentle answer turns away wrath. You know, when we have control of the words that we say, good things are going to happen. We shouldn't use one vocabulary while we're in church. And, and church people do this sometimes. I mean, we know what to say. We know the the, the lingo or the language of the church. We shouldn't be using one language here and then go out and use another language out there. Over my years, I've met people who called themselves Christians and, and we're talking about things and all of a sudden, they'll throw something out there like, well, this is a little bit of trucker talk as they're explaining a story and all of a sudden they get into, you know, using language that is not appropriate for Christians to use. Well, you know, you understand that, don't you? Well, no, I really don't. If you call yourself a Christian, you don't need that in your life. And it's not that we don't slip sometimes and do those things. If you've ever hit your hammer or your thumb with a hammer, you sort of know what I'm talking about. Those words can come to mind real quick. Sometimes they may even slip out. But we have that opportunity. And it shows that we're imperfect and that we can't do it ourselves, that we need to put that attention back towards God. But to intentionally do those things, to intentionally talk that way, to intentionally bring disgrace really to what we call as a Christ follower. Would you be talking that way if Jesus was here with you? And guess what? He is. If you're a born-again believer, you have his Holy Spirit in you. So every word that you utter, whether here or there, God is with you if you are a born-again believer. 
And so he says, these things ought not to be. You shouldn't be having two languages, one at home, one at work. Sometimes that happens. A work environment sometimes can be uh, coarse joking and jesting. Shouldn't be involved in that. And, and, you know, at home it's a different thing. Or we say, oh, that's bad stuff, and then you're partaking of it here. Those are contradictory things that James says should not be. And so it's just like the spring of water that he's going to talk about. Our mouths shouldn't be really having both things be coming out of, their, uh, out of the same opening. But we do. And so James is addressing this. And so it's one of those times where we can just step back and just get our mind uh, uh, focused upon the Lord. Because I really find in my life anyways, no matter what situation I'm in, I can be being hurt, I can be angry, I can be whatever. If I can just get my mind focused on, on God just for a moment, it seems to change my whole disposition of the things that I am dealing with. And so Moffat said this, he says, The outburst of James suggests that he had suffered from the strife of tongues in the religious world. It reads like a transcript of a bitter experience. So there are several commentators that believe that James, being the pastor of this large Jerusalem church, had probably come under a lot of criticism. He had probably uh, been slandered some. There was probably rumors about him, and that happens in leadership. Again, that's why we, we pray for leadership. And he must have seen this problem, and so he addresses it strongly. And he says, listen, church, we need to, to have a consistent lifestyle. If we're going to make a difference in this world, we want our light to shine bright wherever we go, whenever we go. And if the lens gets a little tarnished, it's like the lighthouse keeper. They used to shine that, that reflector all the time so they could reflect that light and they knew that it meant uh, the difference of life and death for the ships that were coming into harbor. Well, the same is for us as believers. God has chosen us and what a, what a privilege and honor it is to be his vessels in this world to draw others to Christ. You know, we don't save anybody, but we can be that avenue that points them to Jesus. And so, as the saying goes, sometimes we might be the only Jesus that people encounter. And so, they're going to look at your life and say, there's something different about that person. But if we walk like the world and talk like the world and act like the world, there's nothing different about us. And so, God tells us, we need to be different. We need to be you. We are strange and peculiar people, he calls us. And, and we, should, we should be honored that God has done that in our life. So we watch what we say. We watch the things that we do. And so he says, no spring yields both salt water and fresh. He says that's ultimately impossible. So he draws that picture again, and you can just picture it, right? You, you don't pump a, a well and, and get both salt water this time, and well, now I want fresh water. Pump it again. No, the water is either fresh or it's salty. It's either good or it's bad. And it tells us that if, uh, if bad fruit or if, if bitter uh, water is coming out of it, then it's bad, right? It's bad. But if good fruit is there and if the water is good, then it's good. And James tells us the same thing in Matthew 12. He says, uh, The man's word, a man's word, or person's words, are really a reliable exposure of his inner character, of his inner being. That puts a lot of weight on the things that we say, the words that we say. So when we think about this, and James is saying, you know what, I can tell a lot by you just by listening to you. Guess what? The world can tell a lot by you by just listening to you. And so we need to be cautious of those things that we say. 
We need to train ourselves again to, to be focused on the Lord. And so Matthew talks about this in Matthew 12. It says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. So we know that, right? A tree is known by its fruit. You can go around, you can see the apple trees. You know it's an apple tree, right? We're going to be known by the fruits of the Spirit in our life that we show to others. People are going to know that we are Christians by the life we live, by the way that we speak, by the things that we do, how we treat one another. They're going to know that. They're going to see the grace. You know, we talk about extending the grace of God and the, the grace that God had on me and the grace that uh, and the mercy that God had on me and the love that God showed me. But am I doing that to others? Am I extending grace? Am I extending mercy? Am I extending love? He who has been forgiven much, forgives much. I've been forgiven great, a great amount in my life, continually still. And, and so I try to extend that forgiveness to others. Sometimes we, we, we get short-sighted. We forget from where we came. And the amount of prayer, the amount of forgiveness, the amount of grace, the amount of mercy that has covered all of my sins, and we get short-sighted. We need to remember those things and show those fruits because it says, what? A tree is known by its fruits. And then he goes on to say, brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That really says, you know, given time, the things that are really in our heart are going to come out of our mouth. That's why I tell people sometimes when, when you're a listener, and my wife used to get after me a long time ago because I like to talk, as you're all aware. And I wouldn't really listen that good all the time. And she says, you need to learn to listen to people. And, and I really took that to heart. Because when you listen to people, it's not always the words they're saying, but it's what they're saying behind those words. And you can hear the things of the heart. You can hear hurts. You can hear bitterness. You can hear anger. You can hear resentment. You can hear all these things that, that are coming from people. And it just fulfills the scripture that says, out of the abundance of heart, the mouth speaks. So when people all of a sudden, you know, they're talking to one lingo in the church and then out in the world, they're talking a different one. Well, those things shouldn't be. There's something not right going on. Are they putting on a show while they're in church and while they're out in the real world, their things are just coming out. He goes on to say, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. And so we know that the Bible also says no man is good. But this is talking about the goodness of God. This is talking about the born-again believer that has the Holy Spirit in him. It says if you're truly born again, good things come out of our lives. We're not perfect. Not everything good comes out of our life. But our desire and our, 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 our character is changed because of what Christ has done in us. And it says an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. And so we see that just the flip side, right? We see that if somebody doesn't have a relationship, they're strung into the world. And the, the world's values and the world's morals and the world's ways are what govern their life. It says, but I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. Think about that. Every idle word that is spoken, that can be the gossip, that can be the slander, that can be the hurtful things, that can be all these bad things. That, that we produce out of our mouth. It says we're going to have to give an account for those things. And he ends it this way. He says, for by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Now when you look at these scriptures that we're reading today, do you think the words that we say, the things that we utter are important? They're very important. 
James says they're important. Matthew is saying that they're important. Jesus says that they're important. We need to put a great emphasis on the words that we say. We need to think about that. If you take anything with you today when you leave, take that. Am I thinking about the things that I'm saying before I'm saying them? Am I thoughtfully thinking them out? And maybe not even just the words that we say, but is the attitude in which I'm saying them or the way in which I'm saying them, is it seasoned with the things that God would have? And he goes on, can a fig tree, uh, my brethren, bear olives? So again, as he's talking about, can a, can a fresh water and salt water come out of the same? Well, we know that that's no. Again, he says, can, can a fig tree bear olives? And of course, it's no. Spurgeon sort of says, that'd be crazy. He said that would be just an abnormality. You would, you would never even expect to see that. And really, as a Christian, shouldn't it be the same? God should never expect to see those things in our life. And so we need to yield ourselves again to the Holy Spirit. Spurgeon goes on and says, Unless you are regenerated, born from above by a new and heavenly birth, you are not a Christian. Whatever you may be called, if you cannot produce the fruit which is acceptable to God, any more than a fig tree can produce olive berries. And he goes on to give a, a little example. He says, you can label a fig tree an olive tree, and it will not make it an olive tree. You can trim a fig tree to look like an olive tree, but that will not make it an olive tree. You can treat a fig tree like an olive tree, but that doesn't make it an olive tree. You can surround the fig tree with many olive trees. doesn't make it an olive tree. You can transplant that fig tree even in the Mount of Olives and it doesn't make it an olive tree. You get the picture that Spurgeon's painting? Just put the word Christian in there. You can label somebody Christian, right? But that doesn't make them a Christian. You can make somebody look like a Christian. That doesn't make them a Christian. You can treat somebody like a Christian. That doesn't make them a Christian. You can surround them with other Christians. That doesn't make them a Christian. The only thing that makes us a Christian is that personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Accepting Him as Lord and Savior. Surrendering your life to Him. That's what a born-again believer is. And so James is saying, if you're truly born again, your desire is to do that which is pleasing in God's sight. And when we find ourselves doing things or saying things that aren't right, we're convicted by that, by the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells me that my spirit testifies with his spirit. His spirit to my spirit. You know, when I have a bad thought, I'm almost immediately convicted of that. I shouldn't be having that thought. Blessed is the man whose mind has stayed upon him. And so we turn it back over to the Lord. Satan's going to tempt us. Satan's going to do these things in our life. He's going to attack us. But blessed is the person whose mind has stayed upon God. And so we just stop that whole thought pattern. We stop that whole conversation and just put our mind back on God for a moment. Lord, lead me in what I need to say. Lord, lead me in what I need to do. So I'm praying for you today, and I'm praying for the churches around not just the country but the world today because churches are filled with people, religious people, some people that are, are good, but maybe that don't know Jesus. Do you know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? If you say, I don't know if i got the Spirit in my life. I don't know if I've ever given my life to Christ. But maybe you need to settle that issue. Maybe you need to talk to somebody and, and just 
Walk through the scriptures with them. God's word has those answers. Maybe you find yourself living this hypocritical life or this uh, hypocritical speech. I'm talking one way here and acting one way here, but then I'm acting and speaking a different way here. God's desire for us is, is, is not to chastise us into these things, but to make sure that we have him in the center of our life. When he's in the center of our life, our desire is to be there. God is a forgiver. He is the one that opens his arms. Whosoever believes, come to me. He is willing to, re- to accept our repentance. He is faithful and just, First John says, to forgive us our trespasses when we repent of those things. Do you want to draw closer to God? Do you want to walk closer to him? Keep your eyes on him. Let's pray.